Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I've spent the last few days getting used to saying the Washington Commanders. <laughs> uh, for sure, that's going to still take a minute. I just got used to saying football team, and now we're switching it up. But all right, that's the deal. It's the Washington Commanders. And now that the name change is over, it's time to move forward. And what are the topics to move forward? I think there's two big obvious topics right now to consider. One, the quarterbacks. What is Washington going to do there? On this episode, we're going to get into the college players, seeing as how I just got back from the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. I'm going to share with you guys my thoughts or and what I've heard from scouts, from teams, executives, and so on with regards to the quarterback class. That includes University of Pittsburgh quarterback Kenny Pickett, who is probably the considered to be the top quarterback in this class right now. And because of that, I spoke to his head coach at from the University of Pittsburgh, Pat Narduzzi, uh, to get a better look at who is Kenny Pickett, the player. How did he have such an impressive year that he you know, joined the Heisman conversation and is now clearly in the first round conversation of April's draft. So we'll get to Pat Narduzzi in a few moments. In addition, now that the name change is in the rear, the other big business question, essentially, is regards to the stadium. But yes, the lease goes uh, until 2027 at FedEx Field, but they need to start moving quick here. And the question is, where is it going to go? And once the name change happened, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser uh, made some interesting comments about where she sees the w- Washington, D.C. fitting into this. And she's made it clear she wants the commanders to come back to the district. So the question is, how practical is it? There's a lot in play there in D.C. to help us break it down. I spoke with Martin Ostermule, reporter for NPR and D.C. as he has covered uh, D.C. politics extensively for some time got his view from that angle as to what's going on here with the district's chances of bringing the Washington uh, commanders back to the nation's capital. So we'll get to all that and more, and I will share some Wizards thoughts at the end of all of that. I was at the Wizards game against Miami Heat yesterday. The trade deadline is upon us here. So I'll get to that as well at the end of this. So for those of you who are diehard Wizards, you can, you know, fast forward, check the timestamps and fast forward to that, or, um, you know, just hang on and we'll, we'll get through all this. Um, so we'll get to all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes or Spotify or the Athletic app. And if you are an iTunes person, always appreciate the comments and feedback. Uh, if you have a moment to drop a, a, a five-star rating and a review, and you know, I promise these things do help a lot uh, for sure. Um, and, of course, you can also check it out. Check me out on The Athletic. I have a new story up. Uh, coming off of the combine, or sorry, combine. Combine is uh, beginning of March. Uh, off of the Senior Bowl, in which um, I kind of go through some of the stuff we go. We're, we're about to talk now. I'll get to get into greater detail though, uh, right now. And of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. All right. Um, so let's get to some of the uh, some of my thoughts on the quarterback situation coming out of the Senior Bowl and. You know, people go to the Senior Bowl for different kinds of reasons. I think I said there were like 900 media credentialed for this. I don't know if I saw 900 people there, but 
or certainly a fair amount of people for sure. And they all come, you know, different types. There's beat reporters like myself. Uh, there's people who are purely draft folks. There's uh, bloggers, I, people who I have no idea who they are, what they're doing there, but people get excited about the draft. And obviously, you know, Jim Nagy, who we had on this podcast, has done a good job promoting the Senior Bowl and running that event. And, and kudos to him from everything I could see was pulled off fairly well. You can't do too much about the rain. It was miserable weather on Wednesday and pretty cold throughout, but you know, hey, it is the winter. Uh, so I want to go through some of the situation here uh, as to what my sense of the quarterback landscape as we are now, you know, less than three months from the draft. Now, for those of you who don't know, but I suspect a lot of you do, of the projected top seven quarterbacks in this draft, six were in Mobile. That's pretty good. Ole Miss's Matt Corral is the only one who was not there. Uh, it, it was a good opportunity for the NFL world to get a look at all these guys side by side, head to head, so to speak, and make some assessments. Now, in for many people, scouts, the front office types, who are not solely focused on the NFL season, you know, they already have some opinions on on these players, and therefore this was just an opportunity to either, you know, sort of further buy into their own view of these guys or maybe to take a closer look at some questions that they have. And for some personnel, this was more of the first real opportunity, probably even in person for sure, to get a a, a look. So um, I had a chance to talk to um, several uh, evaluators over the course of the week. And since I came back home to get their view of the game, I was there in Mobile uh, Monday through Thursday and watch the game uh, here on Saturday. Here's a here's a synopsis, I guess I would say, of what I was told from some of these folks. First of all, let's just start with the top of it all, right? I, th- this is not considered to be some killer draft where you have some high-end talent, no Trevor Lawrence, no Andrew Luck, what have you. But, okay, that, that's fine to a degree. But it's not also, it's not even considered to be a draft that has people that you definitively want to take high in the first round or maybe even in the first round. Most everybody that I've talked to says none of the quarterbacks in this draft would be ahead of any of the five who were picked in the first round last year. That was with Trevor Lawrence at one all the way to Mac Jones at 15. So it isn't, but at the same point, people understand that, hey, one or two of these guys will hit. What does hit mean? You know, not necessarily that they're going to become a perennial pro bowler, but maybe, you know, a, a Kirk Cousins or a Ryan Tannehill level guy that like, they're not probably going to drag you to the Super Bowl or cover up all your mistakes. But if you pair them with some playmakers and a good defense, you know, who knows? Obviously the Titans were pretty miserable in the playoffs. And a lot of that was because Tannehill was pretty bad. But at the same time, um, you know, they, they've had some success uh, in recent years. And Tannehill's a, you know, they were the one seed this year, even though Derrick Henry missed most of the season. And that's part because Ryan Tannehill did some good things. So the question is, can any of these guys at a minimum get, make you feel comfortable week in, week out? And that's part of the big question. I think the, the answer to that is for the most part for, for executives or, or evaluators, uh, or scouts, is it Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh? Is that answer? Um, of the six that I spoke to that gave some type of response, 
uh, to me. I asked, like, give me, give me your guy. Who, who is it? You know, whether it was based on this week of practices, whether it's based on your overall work. You know, who is it? Four of the six said they prefer Pickett. The basic reasoning: he's the cleanest of the quarterbacks. Um, he obviously had a tremendous year in Pittsburgh, improved a lot um, off of what would have been his fourth and final year. He had the chance to come back for the fifth year uh, amid the pandemic. And, you know, obviously had a, had a massive, massive year, uh, finished third in the Heisman voting and so on. Like I said, he's considered to be the cleanest pocket. He crushed the interviews. I saw somebody the other day uh, ask me, why does that matter that he crushed the interviews? Well, I mean, look, obviously, just like anything else in life, right? You got to work with the people. So what are, what's their personality like? You know, I mean, do you want to be around them? I, I've been around some players in draft situations or otherwise where I'm like, yeah, this seems like a problem or it seems possibly problematic. Um, you know, and so I think that at a minimum is, is, is that what do they, you know, what do they say? What's your just general vibe about them? It's just like with anything else. Not every, not any one component is, you know, definitively will say this, this is the reason why we have to take this player or this is my final judgment is based on this one thing. But apparently Pickett did very well in the, in the interviews um, as well. He's got a, he's got a good arm. He's got poise. He's got experience. Uh, I had multiple uh, scouts say, if you need somebody to come in and play immediately as a rookie, it's he's the answer to that question. And obviously in the case of Washington, right, if it ends up where they don't make a significant move in the veteran market, then you're probably going to have to have a rookie come in and play or it's a Taylor Heineke show again for the foreseeable future. And I don't think that's going to be anybody's plan. So, you know, I think Pickett in that regard would be the answer, which isn't to say that's what will happen. I think we all sense, uh, certainly I do, that Washington is is expected to make a big move in the veteran market, at least uh, try to. You, 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 we don't know how, who's going to be available or, or what will happen, but I believe we I think we all believe they will try to do that. I certainly, again, do. But if not, then Kenny Pickett is somebody at 11 who would make sense if you feel you need to get somebody in now. Now, as far as the hand size situation goes, it is a question. Uh, Kenny Pickett, he, he skipped having his hands measured. There are reports that they've been measured previously and come in around eight and a quarter inches. Nine is considered to be sort of the, the, the low end of what's normal. So eight and a quarter would be very low. And I've heard Todd McShay say that he's looked this up and that like basically nobody has succeeded in the NFL um, or at least not in recent years, with hands smaller than nine uh, inches. That's, I guess, measuring from pinky to thumb. Apparently, Kenny Pickett's got a double-jointed thumb, and that leads to <laughs> a shorter measurement. He's apparently going to work on stretching that out between now and the combine. That's a wacky bit there. Let's see those exercises. Um, but that it is something to note for sure. And it can come into play with bad weather. He didn't, he looked pretty rough in Wednesday's um, session, according to the various uh, anal evaluators and so on. Um, but my sense is for teams, if you thought it was an issue before, then it remains an issue for you now. But if it's not your primary concern with him, then it's not a primary concern. So it's not nothing. It's just, when, when people talk about why this draft class, why this class isn't that exciting, they're, they're not downgrading it because Kenny Pickett's hands. You, you know what I'm saying? Like there's just, there's a lack of upside 
to these players, according to the experts here, or I, I don't like saying the term experts, according to the analysts. And that would be in the case of Kenny Pickett, one reason to possibly downplay him and maybe even a significant one, but it's not an overriding factor at this point for the evaluators that I spoke with. Nonetheless, of the six, four picked Kenny Pickett um, as the lead, and, and some of them said there's a pretty big gap between Pickett and everybody else. But one one evaluator said to me, Pickett's the, the guy, but he still is only a second-round pick. And that's not a, that was not a rogue take uh, for sure. The other people who had uh, top who were top uh, vote-getters uh, from analysts, one was Malik Willis from Liberty, and one was Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. Malik Willis is obviously the fun player of this group. You know, so much uh, athletic potential, and from that, a significant amount of, of upside is viewed here. He's got the strongest arm of the bunch. He's mobile in that, you know, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray way that we see obviously being very effective in the NFL these days. And there's a lot of reasons to be intrigued by what Malik Willis offers. Some some people down in Mobile were gushing over what his potential is. Uh, that said, even his most ardent supporters were pretty consistent in saying he probably needs to sit next year which is to say you know he's coming from liberty to the nfl that that that's a huge jump uh maybe it's not as big as what trey lance had to do last year from north dakota state but it is pretty significant and if you have to sit a year then obviously for a team like washington you know maybe that can make sense if you then get a Trubisky or Garoppolo or somebody like that but then you know you're kind of waiting for this for this person to develop I don't think it makes sense if you're just staying with Taylor Heineke um but we'll see and look the idea of of having a kid like that sit for years is not easy you know San Francisco could do it to a degree because you had a guy in Garoppolo who obviously you know say whatever you want about him but he's a you know, proven NFL starter Washington does not necessarily have that right now. So that will be the challenge there. How do you get a player to come in as a veteran who's willing to come here? If you're kind of setting him up to only maybe be a one year deal, that is also something that's better than what Washington already has. Um, nonetheless, also on Willis beyond, you know, the inexperience, you know, he's, he's, you know, pretty thick um, for, for a runner, you know, 220 pounds or so, six foot, a little over six foot tall. Uh, people like his size. So I think that's something that good there. I also, uh, a, a theme heard was he needs to be humbled a little bit. And if you listen to him as I did at, at his media day session, you know, he had some fun play, playful banter with the media. But like, you know, he also said some interesting things. Like he made one comment about that when asked about the smaller school aspect, he said, eh, you guys all make too big of a deal about this. I think when I was at Auburn, we pretty much played the same schedule that I did at Liberty. Now, obviously, that's a pretty nutsy statement to make. Just the SEC games alone are significantly better than what Liberty faced week in and week out, though Liberty did play Ole Miss this year. Um, Even having heard from that, heard that comment in Mobile and then shared it with some others, other people seem to agree with that statement as well. So, you know, came across well in the interviews. He was a fun media session kid, but, you know, Look, I'm still I'm still working on my own maturity, so why shouldn't um, others to a degree as well? Uh, I mentioned Desmond Ritter. I think Desmond Ritter was a guy who, over the last two days, I think really impressed 
teams. He he was you know arguably if you just look at the last few days was maybe the best quarterback. As I said, one uh, one evaluator, a, a player personnel um, executive said that Ritter for him was based on practices the best player, uh, the, the 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 best quarterback uh, this week. A du- another dual threat guy. He's a big time leader for Cincinnati. Got them all the way to the college playoffs. Um, had a chance to uh, talk with one of his. Uh, teammates there uh, from Cincinnati, Alec Pearson, just couldn't stop raving about uh, Desi, as he called him, as a as a leader, as a quarterback. Um, I, you know, is Desmond Ritter worthy of the 11th pick? I don't think so. I, I think other people, uh, I, you know, I had somebody else say that he, they think by the end, by the time this is all done, that he will show that he's worthy of that status. I don't think that's a universal view. I think the second round to me is is more likely and I think that's where it gets interesting possibly for Washington if Washington does not take a quarterback at 11 but still needs one but either for a longer term view or maybe even honestly just to save some face publicly because they don't have a quarterback you know if if going for say a Trubisky might make the most sense in terms of what's available and some potential there but that's not going to go over well from a PR perspective so drafting a quarterback high could work and there could be a two or three of these guys available in round two and I think Desmond Ritter would be somebody in that range to me would be pretty interesting um but we'll see about that um I, I think Sam Howell from North Carolina to me is one that really stood out he was one I was super intrigued by going into this week he was considered to be the QB one for this class going into last college football season but he had a down year uh, we discussed some of this previously he lost a bunch of his playmakers to the NFL including Deami Brown uh, the question for some scouts has been what happened there with his his production went down, his decision-making was worse. How much was that a function of missing a lot of these other pieces and just not having enough uh, help around him? Or was it you know a, a true regression? A little bit of a polarizing prospect, I would say, but I, I was impressed uh, to a degree with what I saw. He made, he made some nice throws. He can run the ball. Uh, he... he the, the scouts constantly talked about his grittiness and tenacity. Uh, you know, the Baker Mayfield comps have been made a ton. That may not sound like a great compliment, but obviously Baker Mayfield was the number one pick in the draft. Um, I think Sam Howell, to me, will be in that sort of QB1 conversation, but ultimately maybe falls short of, of Pickett and Willis. Uh, some people thought he closed the gap on Pickett and had him as the number two quarterback, like I said, and somebody else had him number five even after a guy like Carson Strong from Nevada, who was I mean, generally considered to be outside of this first-round conversation. So uh, Sam Howell there, somebody to keep an eye on as well as we move forward. And we'll talk more about Matt Corral ahead. He has not participated yet in these events because he's not a senior, but we'll, we'll get some thoughts on him as well uh, going forward. Carson Strong from Nevada, we'll just quickly mention him. Accurate thrower. He met with Washington. Uh, by the way, Assume that all these players met with all these teams. It really, I understand that people get excited about conversations that, oh, this team met with that player. I've been there too. I've done that. It really doesn't mean anything. Even if, even teams who are not interested in quarterbacks are meeting with these players because they want to get as much information as possible for down the line, whatever that may, what that may mean. I think as we move forward though, and we start hearing things like, you know, Washington with Ron Rivera had a private meeting with player X that becomes more interesting right now meeting with players. It really doesn't mean much of anything. Okay. So anyway, um, 
Uh, anyway, Carson Strong didn't did meet with Washington, though. He's an accurate passer, completed 70% of his throws the last two years, but he's had some significant knee I- issues. Um, he's had two surgeries. He had a, a cartilage from a cadaver put into his knee last year. Um, uh, he, his mobility is non-existent. Uh, there's some people that still like him, though, but others are, you know, no chance they would consider taking him high in the draft, and I think he's going to have to be one where your doctors say, sure, let's go, and maybe you're saying, we'll take him as a guy who could be our backup, but, you know, maybe there's some flicker of hope he could do more than that, but, I, you know, it only takes one or two teams to say, we, we disagree and we think he can be the guy. Again, interesting passer, but uh, nonetheless, there's some question marks there that I, I think more than we saw with the other quarterbacks. The sixth quarterback was Bailey Zappi from uh, Western Kentucky, who just put up ridiculous video game uh, statistics at Western Kentucky. Um, somebody rephrased, framed it to me as he basically was um, a medium-sized fish in a medium-sized pond and did fine, but you know, not much more than that. So a depth option there for a team looking for some backup help, it sounds like to uh to me before i get to some other prospects so let me just quickly get to russell wilson to round out the quarterback situation here uh because russell will because part of the whole situation whether you're talking about washington or pittsburgh or new orleans or any team that might need a quarterback is who else is available on the veteran market and right now the veteran market is jimmy garoppolo mitch trubisky teddy bridgewater and that's about it will any of the bigger names get sprung free um, I would say this on Russell Wilson. So it's come up the last few days for a variety of reasons. One, he takes a picture at the Pro Bowl with John Allen, the two of them in their um, better halves uh, all together. And that immediately sent people into a uh, into a tizzy. What does this mean? Russell Wilson, why is he taking a picture with a player on um, Washington of all teams? You know, I, I imagine Russell Wilson took pictures with other people as well. But where, why is this one is the one that got that got out? Of course, immediately everybody wants to infer something must be going on here. And look, Russell Wilson gives us some reasons to do that. He last year, even though he stayed with Seattle, his agent put out a list and said, hey, Russ is not looking to move, but if he were, here are four teams he would consider. Among them, uh, the Chicago Bears, which is to say it wasn't just it wasn't just that Russell Wilson picked like the four most obvious teams. He picked a kind of off-the-radar team, in the Bears, and I think that could give somebody hope to say, "Hey, why not Washington?" There is this belief, right, that Russell Wilson and his wife Sierra, the uh, you know the 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 entertainer, uh, the singer, maybe want a bigger market than Seattle, and obviously Washington would provide that. Chicago would as as well. So, is it conceivable that Russell Wilson might actually be interested in Washington? Remember, also he's from Richmond, which is not I is not the DMV. Nobody nobody say it is, but at the same point. It's notable, right? It's it's not it's 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 on this part of the country. Um, therefore, could that be something to consider? And now it's coming up more locally here. My friend Kevin Sheehan over at the Team Nine Eighty and the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast, he's putting out there that he's heard from people that Russell Wilson would be interested in playing for Washington. Okay, now I'm going to remind everybody we had Mike Garofalo or Mike Garofalo, sorry. Uh, Mike Garofolo from the NFL Network on this this year podcast last month. Here's what he had to say about the idea of possibly pairing Russell Wilson and Washington together. Is in play for somebody. Um, 
I, you know, Washington's in there. It's, it's, it's a good spot. You know, there, there are weapons there. There's a team, like I said, that's going through a, a rebrand and a reboot. You got a good head coach. You got a good offensive coordinator. Uh, that, that, that to me would be a destination. Um, so who knows? Maybe Russ opens up his list of destinations and says, Hey, I'll go play there. Um, and the other one is, is Derek Carr in, in, in Vegas. I don't know why the Raiders would ever part with him considering how well he has played. So, um, yeah, it's, that's, that's kind of where it fits in. And I, I, to me, if I'm Russ, I'm looking at Washington and if I'm Washington, I'm looking at Russ. All right. So look, I mean, there, there's another person making that, um, making that connection. And look, I totally get it. And part of the deal here is that Russell Wilson's a bit of a wild card that he may not be going by the same rules as everybody else can, you know, conventionally when it comes to what team does he want to go for? What are the reasons somebody wants to play with somebody? And look, I, I'm not one of those people who just completely discounts Washington, Washington's personnel. I think Ron Rivera gets a bit over his skis when he starts talking about how great the roster is. But, you know, you've got Terry McLaurin. We'll assume Curtis Samuel comes back and plays. You've got Antonio Gibson. You've got an offensive line that, you know, will, will likely lose Brandon Scherf, but, you know, still played fairly well last year. And, you know, there's a draft and free agency to come. We'll see what else they add or do. You know, th- th- that that sounds like a group that Russell Wilson or, or any quarterback could have some, have some fun with. But here's what it comes down to. Is Seattle trading him? And to that end, I haven't heard anybody tell me they think the answer is yes. It doesn't make any logical sense that they would. If Seattle is still trying to win, and there's no reason to think that they're not, why are you trading Russell Wilson? He, for one, he has two years left on his contract. Yeah, there's cap hits of 37 and $40 million, but quarterbacks make a lot of money, so there's that. Two, Pete Carroll is, what, 70 years old? He's not going to rebuild. And I think that, and, and unlike, say, Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, you could at least say, if you're the Packers, well, we have Jordan Love. We can at least move forward to that and see what happens. Seattle doesn't have that situation, and therefore I just don't I don't get why they would do that with Pete Carroll staying on board and trying to, to, to go in that direction. It just does not make any logical sense there. And in talking to people down at Mobile, I didn't get anybody who, who, who disagreed with that, with that sentiment. Most people seem to believe that Seattle's not going to trade Russell Wilson. And ultimately that's why all of this is a bit of a, I don't want to be the buzzkill here, but you know, until there's any signs that that could happen, the idea of talking about Russell Wilson coming here or anywhere is just really doesn't seem like it's a thing. The, but Russell Wilson's a wild card, therefore we'll keep it open. And like nothing in life is a hundred percent. Surprising moves happen all the time, and they're surprising because we don't see them coming. I'm just saying, based on what I'm seeing now, I don't see any evidence to suggest that Russell Wilson is going to be available. And if he is, obviously a lot of teams would be interested in acquiring him. No doubt Washington would be one of them, and I'm sure they would be willing to to do what was necessary to get the job done. Doesn't mean it will actually happen, of course, though. But we'll see if we'll see what happens as we get closer to the draft. If in fact um, Russell Wilson or any of these guys become available, uh, for sure. Um, all right, um, I'm going to have more of what I learned from Mobile on the next podcast, including some thoughts about the uh, Washington's current roster, some positions of note to keep an eye on where they may attack uh, or some players as well uh, to consider. All right. So we'll get to all that on the next episode of the standard room only podcast. But for now, let's get into my conversation. First up, 
University of Head Coach, University of Pittsburgh Head Coach Pat Narduzzi, followed by Martin Ostermule from N, uh, from uh, the DC is to talk about the stadium and if Washington DC is legitimately in play, and then I'll get some Wizards thoughts. All that and more here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, as promised, joining us here on the podcast, a special guest. Uh, he is the coach of the University of Pittsburgh. He is Pat Narduzzi. And Pat, I appreciate the time. We missed each other at, at the Senior Bowl uh, in Mobile, but we were both there and partly for the same reason. I was there to watch quarterbacks, and you were there to uh, check out. You've got a few players there, notably Kenny Pickett. Uh, how do you do? You know, from what I saw, he was great. Um, you know, talking to a lot of coaches down there, same thing. I mean, uh, you know, what you hear is just, you know, his poise, uh, his intelligence, and obviously his accuracy, um, you know, you know, the guy's a complete package. Obviously, he looks like he's going to be the first quarterback taken to the draft. In fact, I just retweeted, I guess Jim Nagy said he was voted um, by that team's defensive squad as the best quarterback there, which, you know, I would imagine tomorrow I can't wait to put that game on and watch how, how good he is. Uh, expect him to have a great day because he's a competitor. He doesn't like to lose um, in anything that he does, um, but just a complete player. And to me, there's a lot of quarterbacks with talent, but the thing that stands out for Kenny is he's a leader. Ben, I mean, he, he's a guy that's you know going to will that football team wherever he plays to win a football game. Um, you know, he's got all the you know the physical tools as you watch on tape, um, but it's all those things you can't see on videotape that are, are great about him. He's going to be the First guy in in the you know in the building to uh, figure out the game plan and be the last one to leave, so he's going to put it in. He loves the game of football; that's his passion, and uh, we'll just give you everything he's got. So he obviously last year could have left, and it sounded like teams thought maybe he was like a day two pick, maybe early round or early day three. He obviously chose to go back, and it seems like it was a wise call. He had a huge year for you guys, and I'm talking to some people around the league about him. It's like they they sensed a a clear difference, maybe even from an athletic standpoint, but just obviously the production was there. From your perspective, what changed for him from his his uh, previous year to, to this year that held him such had him help uh, have such a good year? Right, you know, I think uh, you know if you put tape on him, he started one game as a true freshman against Miami. I think at the time Miami was the number two team in the country as a true freshman. And uh, <laughs> excuse me, so if you watched him in his true freshman year take a bootleg and hit the pylon with the ball and score a touchdown to win the game, seal the deal on the game. I think it put us up two scores. It was the game winner, but and I think it was a fourth down call where it was a kind of a naked boot and took it right on 25, 30 yards for a touchdown. So he's had the athletic ability. When you look at his athletic ability, his skills, his moxie, he's always had that. When you look at the difference between, you know, getting had two different coordinators, his, his freshman year had one coordinator, and then for his last three years, had another coordinator. Um, and I think anytime you change coordinators, it takes time, number one, with the offense. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but when you look at really what he did 2021 to 20, Ben, um, I think it comes down to, um, you know, that COVID year, okay? Right. I don't think – I think people saw, you know, going from, you know, here – you know, to a, you know, a midday, you know, second day guy to a, to a first round pick, um, you know, he had no spring ball. Okay. We had no, you know, summer conditioning. I mean, when they came back on June 9th, I believe in the COVID year, you know, nobody thought we'd even have a season. 
um, you know, they came back and I think for a month and a half, they, they practiced in groups of 10, uh, which, you know, you, you know, it was really, when I say practice, I guess they were in the weight room, you know, just with, you know, COVID protocol and everything. Right. So there was no spring ball timing. There was no summer timing. I mean, our kids, it's a 12 month a year deal. So our kids were, our kids work all year round. I mean, they're throwing the ball today, uh, you know, the, the new crew. So, um, you know, that timing for a, a team that's a pass offense, for them to not have all, you know, all spring, all summer, and then you go into August, and August is the first time you touch a football, and you're really throwing it to your teammates and, and all the timing and COVID. And you know, we had seven guys drafted off that team a year ago in 2020. We had more guys drafted in 2020 than anybody else in the ACC. I think people forget that. We had a better team in 2020, but, you know, it just didn't click. I mean, we had, you know, we had one receiver. Um, I won't mention his name, um, but one of our starting receivers in 21 and 20, um, that missed 37 days of practice. It's, it's hard to, you know, to have that timing with your receivers. I mean, Jordan Addison was a great player. He's a true freshman, um, you know, in that, uh, that 20 year, you know, Blitnikoff winner in his second year, just was a true freshman with no timing as well. So when you look at that and, and uh, you know, if you look at just all the drops we had in 2020, I think we led the country in drop passes. So add that on to Kenny, you know, if those passes were completed, I think we led the country. I don't think it's a stat for guys catching a ball and falling down and not scoring touchdowns. We basically lost to North Carolina State in 2020 because the receiver catches the ball, runs down, is untouched, falls down at the one, and then we got four downs from the one trying to run the ball, and we don't get in. So there's, I mean, so many things happened in 2020, not to make excuses, that he just didn't, you know, he's good enough to be a midday guy. But, you know, I think anytime you look at trying to be a first-liner, you got to take a team to a championship. And, Kenny willed our football team to the ACC championship game and then won it. Um, so obviously you, you just went down to, to Mobile, <laughs> but I'm sure you've been talking to NFL teams throughout this process. They, 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 they have questions, scouts show up. Obviously, a lot of times when they ask questions, it indicates something about what they're looking for out of this player. It doesn't always mean a negative, but a question could be, hey, tell us more about this. What are some of the questions you've been getting about Kenny that maybe give an indication of what teams are kind of wondering about him? You know what? Nobody's really asked many questions. I mean, that, that's a crazy thing. I mean, they don't ask many questions. It's really going to be, um, they're going to see it. They want to see what he does. They want to, they're going to talk to other people. They, I mean, I think they've seen enough interviews to know, you know, what we think of Kenny Pickett. So, um, you know, they don't ask. I mean, they'll come to pro day and ask. Uh, they've been there all season. We have pro personnel people that talk to him daily while we're trying to win football games. So I uh, haven't got those calls, but, uh, usually those will come later on when people get into the thick of things. Uh, for example, you know, Sean McDermott called me the day they drafted Nathan Peterman with the Buffalo Bills, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, he called me that morning, you know, like at seven o'clock in the morning, they, you know, drafted him later that day. I kind of knew he was going to go to the Buffalo just because you got that call, but you know, he was sitting in a room with, you know, I don't know, a, a dozen, you know, a dozen people in the, in the, the organization. So you don't get as many you know questions like that. And people ask you all the time, you know, and I think once they've heard it once, they don't want to hear it again. They're, they're going to they're going to dig and find out what all the other people are, are going to say. And when you look at Kenny from from you know not only on his field from what he's done in his personal life, you're not going to find any negatives. That's why they got to pick on a hand size, I guess. But because he's a model citizen off the field as well, he's not going to be a guy that's got a problem off the field ever. Uh, you know, he's just um, you know he's super that way. So they're going to do their their homework and try to find out who he is and. And, um, you know, and again, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's an A-plus in every category. All right, well, you mentioned the hand size. I feel like I, I would be 
not doing my due diligence if I didn't ask, because it is the topic that came up a ton. I was there for his media day session at the Senior Bowl. It was a question that came up on Wednesday. It was a rainy day, and I guess some people were like wondering if maybe that was affecting him um, because of hand size. You tell me, what's the deal with the hand size? Is this is this literally a not a, a nothing topic? You you've obviously had him, and it's not like Pittsburgh is in Hawaii. You're playing in some in tough weather. You know, it's it's a it's a nothing topic. Um, it really is. Again, um, I think it's just a lot of smoke. And from what I've heard, just from talking to all the NFL people on the sidelines down there, that it's not. I don't think any of the NFL scouts or pro personnel are really worried about a hand size because just put the videotape on. And you know, I guess Tuesday's practice was in the rain. He's never had. We do wet balls every week, whether we're playing in the rain or not, just to make sure if we have an issue. Um, but I think. Most of those, again, I wasn't there on Tuesday when it did rain, but I think most of those issues were center quarterback exchanges, I think. You know, and I think that's mainly because um, – are you still there? I lost you. There you go. Um, I think that's mainly because, you know, center, you know, centers aren't used to snapping. The quarterback's under center. Um, but his hand, size, his hand size isn't a factor. I mean, you know, I don't think he's had a fumbled, you know, quarterback center exchange ever. Uh, we played in rainy games. Um, so I think it's, you know, again, it sounds like it's more just the media making a big deal about it. He'll, he'll uh, get his hand size measured, you know, in the combine for sure. And, uh, you know, I guess if you're getting compared to Joe Burrows, it's a good thing. From a, from a rise standpoint, it does seem like we've heard those kinds of comparison. Obviously Joe Burrow was, you know, a huge prospect coming out and it doesn't quite seem like anybody is viewing this quarterback class as having that type of, Performer, I guess, what would you say to that? You also played against uh, Sam Howell this year. I'm sure you've seen some of these other guys. What would you say when people question sort of the upside for this class? Yeah, you know, I love Sam Howell. Matter of fact, I talked to him after that second practice. He came up to me, which was awesome. Uh, you know, an ACC guy. You know, Sam Howell's got an you know, explosive arm. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to try to compare him, you know, uh, to Taekwon. The one thing I'll say is, you know, I think the biggest thing you have to look at if I was a you know GM, if I was an owner of a club, is like what type of what kind of offense have you played in? And I think you can, you know, you look around, you know, through the NFL and look at, you know, successes in the NFL as quarterbacks. Um, you know, you look at a pro style quarterback. I mean, Kenny's playing in a pro style offense. He's under center, he's in the gun, he's throwing drop back passes. And I think probably the most impressive thing about Kenny Pickett this season is. I don't think it was any surprise to any defenses around the country that we were a pass first run the ball in a four minute offense at the end of the game. So this guy got the numbers, the touchdown passes, but everybody in the ACC knew he was throwing the ball. There was no surprise. It wasn't like, it wasn't like we were a balanced offense. I mean, we were 75% pass, maybe 80% pass. If you take a fourth quarter out of it, it'd be interesting to see really what we were pass wise. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing I'd look like, look at is, is just the, the uh, amount of drop back pass we threw all the different NFL pass concepts uh, that we threw. This guy knows how to read a coverage. He knows how to read progressions. And he's so accurate with the football. I mean, he's going to put it like an NFL quarterback has to where it needs to be, you know, putting the ball in any, you know, in a range of where this guy could catch it anywhere. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't make it in the NFL. He's going to put it, you know, to exactly where he needs to. The accuracy is incredible. And uh, that's what I've seen out of a lot of, you know, good quarterbacks I've had since 2003. I've been around Ben Roethlisberger in 2003 at Miami, Ohio, Ryan Hoyer at Michigan State. 
Kirk Cousins at Michigan State. We had Connor Cook at Michigan State. I got to pit, you know, Nathan Peterman, and then obviously Kenny Pickett. That, that, that's a good group. We obviously know Kirk Cousins in these parts. Um, I would think one thing that's positive for Kenny is the experience. He obviously played a ton at a high level, so I don't think people will question that. But there's always this, like, some, some people want to rush a rookie to play. Others think, hey, you got to let this quarterback maybe watch for the whole rookie season or a while to get acclimated. What's your view in that in general, but then also in terms of Kenny and, and how, uh, how you think that may impact him? I'm sorry. Can you say that again, Ben? The the idea of playing a rookie uh, immediately. He obviously has the experience, Kenny, because he played for a lot of a long time in college. But some people think you shouldn't play a rookie kind of at all because they need the experience. How do you kind of view that in general and with Kenny specifically? Yeah, I think Kenny can come in and play early, but I think it, you know, just like a, you know, a, a freshman quarterback, I think it's always you know, the more time you can give a guy, the better. But Kenny's capable of coming in right away because of his maturity, his leadership. Um, and obviously, you know, just his physical tools that he has. Um, and again, you know, Kenny's going to be, you know, whether he comes into a veteran situation or he's a guy that's going to back up for a couple of years before he takes it over. Uh, I don't think he'll be happy backing up anybody, to be honest with you, because that's the type of guy he wants to go out and play right now. He, you know, he thinks he should have started as a true freshman. He's mad that I didn't play him more than <laughs> just the last four games of the season. Uh, but we we're kind of saving him for the rest. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go back and hit you, Ben, with, uh, you know, you, you hit the Kirk Cousins thing, and it just triggered that he was drafted by the, uh, the Redskins, right? And I know yes. he was upset. As where, I remember when he got drafted, he was upset. You know, RG3 got drafted in front of him. And I was like, Kenny, don't, or excuse me, I was like, you know, Kirk, don't worry about it. You're the best quarterback that got drafted, even though you're the second quarterback, whatever round that was. Um, but, again, just another great example, RG3, you know, as great as an announcer as he, he is, you know, was not at Baylor in a post-how offense. And again, that's why Kirk Cousins was able to go in there and, and win that job over, I think, is because of, you know, just the pro-style offense we had at Michigan State. And that's the same thing we have here. But, you know, uh, Kenny's certainly capable of going in early and playing early just because, again, he's not, you know, he's not a three-year quarterback coming out of college. He's a five-year vet. Um, and he's, he's really, really mature. Um, you've got another player at the Senior Bowl I want to ask you about. But last question about Kenny. Um, tell me about who – the, you obviously have been around him for a long time. Who is Kenny Pickett, the guy? Like, what's a good story that you might have that sort of encapsulates who, what kind of, what kind of a kid he is? I mean, there's all kinds of stories, but I'll go back to uh, just kind of the competitor he is. In 2020, against Boston College, he hurts his ankle pretty bad. Um, you know, went in a tent, told the trainers, "Hey, I'm playing." Okay, this is a COVID year. There's nobody in his stands. You know, um, you know. The guy came back and, and ran for a touchdown pass. Um, and uh, we didn't win the game because we missed an extra point in overtime. Uh, but, you know, Kenny ties the thing up. Kenny goes into overtime, scores a touchdown. Or, you know, we miss an extra point and lose the game in the first overtime. But the guy's a competitor. He came back and played the rest of that game, which I don't know how many guys would really do that. Uh, he had the same ankle uh, injury that Tua had at Alabama. Okay, the same exact injury had surgery on it right after the, you know, the next day. And uh, he said, coach, I'm coming back. And he actually got back faster than Tua did. If you remember that injury and, uh, and came back. So you talk about toughness. I mean, I think everybody in the national football league wants a tough quarterback and, and a guy that's going to push to come back regardless. And we weren't playing for a national championship at that time. You know, we're playing, you know, during a pandemic, but that guy was coming back to play. Um, and lastly, you've got uh, a couple other players 
at the senior bowl. Now you've got one long snapper. I'm not asking about him and only because Washington just drafted a long snapper last year, <laughs> but right. you do have a defensive back there. who has got some attention this week in, in, in a good way. What can you tell us about, uh, about your other guy there? Yeah. Damari Mathis is the, the corner number 21. We'll see him tomorrow uh, play that game. Um, you know, one of the best corners I've had since I've been pit. And I will say we probably got probably, and again, wish I could give you a number. We probably got five or six corners, maybe eight corners at my time since I've got a pit back, you know, Lafayette Pitts might've been the first one. And um, Ryan Lewis is another one, you know, Avante Maddox is, you know, a guy that was too short to play in the NFL. I think he just signed a $34 million contract, six rounder uh, playing with the, the, uh, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Dane Jackson starting corner got hurt at, uh, at Buffalo and he started the last six or seven, seven games of the season for them um, playing in the playoffs and not even throwing his way. Um, a guy that plays with great technique. So at Pitt, we press our corners. And I think when our corners go to the NFL, they are not phased at all by being able to press and be put on that island out there because they do it every single day for three, four, or five years. So DeMar Mathis is, is a guy that's special football player. He's a competitor. He's tough. I don't know if he missed a game in his years at Pitt. Um, he's smart. He does it all. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's a guy that, you know, I think has made a lot of money going down to – uh, mobile and I think when pro day comes and and uh, he's at the combine he's going to jump out of the roof he's going to run a th- four three four four uh, he might be the fastest corner we've had and and uh, he's the competitor and he's tough all right well we'll look out for that Washington could certainly use more defensive back help Pat I really appreciate it I'll be honest I'm really going to be watching your team th- this year uh, I didn't necessarily know to watch Kenny Pickett going into this year but Keaton Slovis was somebody that I really liked at USC and obviously he's now with you guys, so I'll be intrigued to see what uh, what you guys can do with another quarterback. Sounds good, Ben. Appreciate it. Thank you come, so come much. See us in Pittsburgh. Come visit us. <laughs> Deal. Thanks right. so much. All right, Ben. You got it. All right. Uh, joining me, as promised, he covers DC politics for WAMU and DCist, and we're talking right now because he just wrote an article about what Merritt Bowser had to say about the Washington Commanders. I got to get used to saying that. Uh, the Washington Commanders. Here he is, Martin Ostermule. Uh, Martin, I really appreciate the time on, on this uh, Saturday. Thanks for thanks for uh, for it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, uh, okay, we got a new name, Commanders. Debate whatever people want to debate about that. That's the name. Next step, broadly, we're not you know not talking about the quarterback and things like that. Is the stadium, and this is obviously now I think going to become much a much bigger topic now that we're we're past the the the, the name change and. Virginia has been sort of a little bit more front and center in recent weeks, probably wise of them to take advantage of some quiet time and, 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 and try to move the football as it were, the political football towards the, the, their side of the, of the beltway. But Mayor Bowser has now kind of jumped back into this and, and, and let it be known that she wants DC. She put out a tweet on the day that the, uh, on Wednesday, the day that the team um, uh, made the official name change and the tweet effectively says, quote, the next chapter for the Washington Commanders should be a return to winning right here in D.C. She's all in on that. But that was sort of the generic statement. Then she kept talking. And on Thursday, she put out she had much uh, broader comments on this. And that's where your article comes into play. Uh, the headline Bowser again says she wants newly named Washington Commanders back in D.C. So I guess just give us your uh, you, you, the, the basic story there. What does she have to say uh, at this time? 
Well, that's exactly what she said. I mean, to put to put it into full context, she's been mayor for two terms. She first came into office in 2015 after being elected in 2014. And way back in 2014, she was saying, just like mayors before her had said, she wanted a football team back in the district and she wanted them back at the site where they used to be, which is RFK Stadium. Um, but again, back in back then, back in 2014, 2015, there was a condition attached, which was, you know, it's not going to happen unless the team changes its name. Right. And again, this was this was in the era where Dan Snyder was doing the whole like, I'm never going to change the team name, you know, never in all caps, that sort of jazz. He was he was yeah. very much on that side of things. So it was always kind of a dead proposition. Um, and now, even though every every six to eight to 10 months, like it would just invariably come up, someone would talk about the fate of RFK Stadium, which had last been used by DC United, but then they moved out, I think, in 2015 or 2014, something around some, along those lines. So it's just been empty. So every time it comes up, the mayor had always said, look, I'd love to have the team back. We'd love to, to negotiate something. We're not going to pay to build, to build the stadium, but we want them back somehow. Um, but, you know, it didn't, it was never going to be a reality until the name change happened. And now that the name change has happened, she's again making the pitch. But again, just like you said, the pitch comes at a much more difficult time just because, you know, Virginia is, is making a much bigger play for the team than they had in the past. Yeah, they, they certainly have. And obviously the stadium is, the current stadium is in Maryland. And that's what makes this all so interesting is that it's, you know, nor, you know typically a, a team is dealing with such things. They're dealing with one entity. Uh, and, and here it's, it's, it's three different uh, uh, jurisdictions, as it were, uh, possibly in play from your perspective in covering DC politics, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables here. What do you think is the viability of this actually happening? The name is done and we can get to the money aspect in, in, in a second, but there's the land issue. There's DC politics. What do you, what do you kind of see as the viability of this actually happening? Well, the first thing I want to say is like from a team owner perspective or the NFL perspective, this is like the most perfect scenario possible. You have three jurisdictions you can pit any number of them against each other. And that's what any that's what the team owners and the NFL have done in the past, but literally the three jurisdictions neighbor each other. So you have like the pick of the litter at this point, you're basically throwing it out there and like, who wants to give me the most money? Who's gonna give me the best land? Who's gonna give me the best deal? In DC, the issue is the land is there, the stadium is there, the history is there. The problem is the is effectively the politics aren't really there anymore. I mean, Dan Snyder did enough over the years to piss off enough people in the district, enough politicians, enough elected officials, enough residents that no one wants to give him much of anything. Um, and, you know, even though the mayor says that she'd love to have the team back, she's, she's also set some conditions, but I wouldn't say that a lot of other elected officials are willing to jump on board, even if it was a minimal amount of money that the city had to kick in at the end of the day, it's just Dan Snyder is still a pretty toxic figure in the district, even more so now with the sexual harassment stuff that's been happening on Capitol Hill, the, the hearing just the other day. So unless he, you know, tomorrow decided to give everybody in the metropolitan area a free puppy and like, you know, some apple pie, I don't see how politically he his image gets a whole lot better. And the name change may have improved it slightly, but I mean, most people realize Dan Snyder is still Dan Snyder. Uh, the free puppy bit would be a pretty good political game, but I don't know if somebody's actually thought to do that before, but I mean, it seems like, seems like that could work. Maybe even for him, maybe he says. Um, so, okay. So there's a lot of variables here. Let, let, let me start with some of the land aspects. This is federal land, right? So the, the, it's not like, it's not like Mayor Bowser can just simply you know say, Hey, we want to do this and thus we can make it happen. We just deal with our internal politics. No, they actually have to go through, 
Congress and all that to get them to, um, I don't know, I don't know if it's sell the land or, or or allow them to just do what they want with the land. But either way, they have to get that approval. So from that perspective, there's also that hurdle. What what's the challenge there that you see here in February of 2022? Well, so right now, to be honest, if tomorrow the city declared that they were going to just like they, they the team was going to was going to come back and dance later said yes we're coming back to the district they could demolish rfk it's still standing it's supposed to be demolished next year but they could just knock it down build a new stadium and they could do it completely under the lease that the city has with the with the feds right now which means which says that the land has to be used for entertainment purposes and that a stadium is entertainment effectively so you know it could happen but but in this day and age of the sorts of nfl stadiums you get and the sort of usage of the land that you want, no one in the city wants to just build a stadium surrounded by acres of parking, which is what RFK was and still right. is, and what FedEx Field is. Like you want to, you want to use the land for retail, for restaurants, for parks. Like you want to make it more of a destination. And all of those factors, you would need either Congress to change the lease or to give the land to the district to base. And the city has been asking for the land for a long time. Um, but Congress has to come along as to say, okay, we're going to do this. And Congress right now being controlled by Democrats, like Democrats have no love for Dan Snyder. And there's certainly not, there was already concerns before of just what, what precedent does it set turning, giving federal land over to a local government for the purposes of, of a, an NFL stadium. There was that problem to begin with, but now with Dan Snyder and the sexual harassment stuff, like, I don't think, I don't see Democrats even though Mayor Bowser is a Democrat and she has good friends up on Capitol Hill, I don't see them deciding that they're going to give this land or change the, the, the kind of structure of the land or hand it over to the district just so the city can then turn around and give a chunk of it to Dan Snyder to build a massive stadium. I just don't see that happening. Right. I mean, on the one hand, like like even with like the name change, right, the name is going to outlast all of us in theory, right? Normally, the, a team name goes on till the end of time. It's pretty rare that somebody changes it for whatever the reason. The stadium isn't the same thing because stadiums, every you know, the, other than the venerable ones like Fenway Park or something, they all get de- deemed uh, outdated within 25 to 40 years, somewhere in that range. But that said, it's still a long way to go. Is there any view to say, look, it's better for this, it's better for the economy to have this stadium here, it's better for I don't know if prestige is the right word for, for the nation's capital, but um, <laughs> but like, is, 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 there, is there some arguments we made? Put Dan Snyder aside. Maybe he isn't the owner forever, mm-hmm. even though it feels like it's already been forever for, for, for the fans of the team. Is there any argument to, to that to say, look, it's just better for the city and thus in some level maybe better for the government overall to have this thing here inside the city, regardless of the owner? I mean, totally. And, and, and Mayor Bowser and some other folks would make the case and they would point to Nationals Park. I mean, Nationals Park was built completely by the city. It was a 600 plus million dollar investment um, there was some pushback when it was built, but the, the, the mayor at the time and all the, the folks on the DC council were like, no, this is going to be great for the city's economy. It's going to turn unused, otherwise unused land into productive land. It's going to create this whole new destination. And you look back, you look on, at it now, and it is a destination. People go to Nats Park. There's a whole new residential complex around it. There's the, the waterfront area. I never went to that. I've lived here my house. I never went to that part of town prior to Nats Park. Exactly. And it's, it's actually, it's paid itself off faster than they expected. They, they, I think they, they gave them, they, they gave themselves 25 years to pay back essentially the debt that they, they took in to pay for the stadium. And they're like five years ahead of schedule because it's done so well for itself. 
So they can point to Nat Spark and be like, we can make this work for the, for the team, for the commanders, the same way we did for Nat Spark. Now, obviously the flip side argument that everyone always makes with NFL stadiums is eight home games a season, or maybe 10 at most, maybe, maybe 11 if you squeeze it out. Um, versus baseball, which is what, you know, 80 some odd home games, 81 home game and potentially playoffs and things like that. Yeah. And so, yeah. And and sure. Every once in a while, you'll have like an international soccer match or you'll have like a YouTube concert or, you know, something big enough to fill 70,000 seats or however many seats a modern football stadium is, but it's just less, it's, there's going to be fewer of those events than you're going to have at a baseball stadium. Um, And even with DC United, they got a stadium built, the city split the cost of that one. And the city can all, is now pointing to that as the example for the example for the commander stadium. They're saying like, we won't pay to build a stadium, we'll pay to prepare the land. Like we'll do the infrastructure work. Um, and it's great because it turns, you know, DC United used to be a Pepco, uh, an electric substation and now it's a stadium. Like clearly there's an upgrade there. Um, you, you can make the same argument and they have been making the same argument over at RFK. It's like demolish RFK, you know, get rid of the asphalt, the, the acres of asphalt parking, build a beautiful stadium surrounded by retail and restaurants and, and houses, and it's going to be a hit. Uh, you just mentioned finances a bit. So uh, the so the, the current lease at FedEx Field goes till 2027. So while in theory, it sounds like you've got some time, it's kind of running out. It takes a couple of years just to physically build the thing, and then you still have to go through all the regulations and, and you know, determine costs or whatever else is going to happen so we don't know the exact number and all that but that said it's going to be a it's going to be more than probably you and i can put together if we wanted to if we wanted to build that um what what's the what do you sense is the the mayor or dc stance even if they were willing to do any of this as far as how much they're willing to kick in i know you just said about dealing with the land but what's your sense of the the the, you know the the pay how much they're willing to put in for this project that's a really good question, and I, I I don't have a good answer only because I think it depends on what come what what the final price tag is. So like for DC United, it was 150 million dollars in land preparation costs and 150 million dollars to build the stadium itself. It was a little more expensive to build the stadium, but the, the city didn't pay for that. So 150 million was what the elected officials at the time agreed upon, and they're like, okay, we can front that. We think this is a good use of money. Um, RFK is a much bigger site. I mean, it's a hundred plus acres of, of space that they'd have to work with. So they're already, the city's already paying to demolish the stadium itself, the old stadium. So that'll be done. But even if you have this like blank slate to work with, you still have to prepare it. So we're probably talking a couple hundred million dollars worth of develop, worth of just that side of things. And then also the, the separate question of what to do with the rest of the land, like who's going to pay to build all this other magical stuff you want there, like restaurants or retail or whatever. Um, but let's just say the city really only sticks to do the, doing the infrastructure work. It's still a couple hundred million dollars, which again, for, for a team owner that everybody kind of likes, or at least doesn't dislike, the city could probably make a case. Like enough elected officials could, could be brought on board. You know, you could sweeten the pot by saying, we'll have like, we'll give, we'll kick in a bunch of money to local nonprofits that do like football programs for non for underprivileged kids. Like, I mean, the nationals did that, but Again, it all comes down to Dan Snyder. Does anybody think that Dan Snyder is likable enough to sell a couple hundred million dollars to the public in taxpayer funds? Like, yeah, we're going to spend this money for Dan Snyder. And that's, again, I think that's the big question. Yeah, I think that's a really, a really big question. So to go back to the land for a second, we're talking about RFK because of the nostalgia and it, there is a lot of land there. It would make sense for a variety of levels. Also, like you mentioned, the developing the area, things like that. 
okay but let's just say that's the, the from the federal land aspect congress doesn't budge they can't do it dc is not the biggest place but there's some other land i've heard some other possible sites or at least one other possible site but you tell me is there any sense there is anywhere else in the city limits that could be remotely feasible to put what they want not just the stadium but the stores and and and, and shops around it is there anything else in the area that would work to my my knowledge, no. Like, yeah, there has been one other site kind of thrown in the mix, which is across the river. It's called Poplar Point, which is uh, also along the Anacostia River. It's a really pretty site. The federal government has been has I think handed most control over the district, um, and there have been a ton of development plans thrown around for the last couple of years. That was actually one site that DC United Stadium should have gone was originally thought to go, but it didn't. So that site has been tossed out, but. The downside of the site is that it's much smaller than RFK, and it's very close to a metro station, so you get transportation figured out, but you wouldn't be able to build any of the additional stuff around the stadium. You, you wouldn't have a lot of space for retail or restaurants, or and definitely not housing. Um, and I think a lot of city officials would love, to, would love to see housing as part of this. So it doesn't seem like there's a lot of, and there's just not a lot of room in the district. I mean, it's a small city with a limited amount of land, and the biggest single piece of land that I know of, I think that it's just that RFK plot that is just, it's just that. It's an old stadium with a bunch of parking that no one is, is doing anything about right now. Yeah, no, it, 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 makes, um, it makes so much sense. You know, it's, it's you know, the, nothing, nothing is easy, right? I mean, this just seems like a relative no-brainer. Put the team back where it is. I don't think anybody's that excited about the current site. FedEx Field, even if the lease wasn't coming up, it's clearly not in a good space. Based on everything we you know, we've seen in recent years and and this year in particular, it's not a great fan experience. Of course, them not winning is a much is a huge factor in that, but that's that's a whole other story. Uh, it just seems like an utter no brainer to put it there. But we've just gone through some of the the hurdles, and the Dan Snyder one may be the biggest hurdle of all. Um, it's now February. They don't technically have to do anything for a minute. There is a congressional uh, midterm elections this year. If in fact, and I guess if you look at the political projections, it does seem like people think that the Republicans may come in and win the election. Does that change any dynamic? I know we're saying there's other variables there, including DC's own uh, willingness, but if, if the, would, would that be something that could change if the Republicans get in now that the name is, it, we're past the name hurdle, could that factor into any of this? I, I mean, it could. And in a couple of years ago, Mayor Bowser, again, a Democrat who you know doesn't have a great relationship necessarily with Republicans, had been reaching out to Republicans up on, on Capitol Hill with that exact proposition, saying, "Hey, listen, you know." And this was before President Biden. This was during the Trump presidency. And her pitch was, "Listen, we've got this great piece of land, RFK. We'd love to reuse it." Um, potentially for a new football stadium, but we want to do other things with it. So we either either need to change the lease conditions or you just need to hand over control. So they've done the outreach to Republicans on the Hill. Now, and again, I don't know if you watched the um, the congressional hearing the other day um, about the sexual harassment allegations in the team, but very quickly yes. it fell down partisan lines. It's just what it was. Like Republicans, are like, why are we talking about this? And Democrats are like, well, this is a big deal. So I, I could see Republicans seeing this as like, all right, this seems like a, a reasonable thing. We'd love to have a football team back in the nation's capital. Um, now, will they work with the mayor? That's a good, that's another good question, because especially after all the stuff that happened in the pandemic, I mean, the city now has a vaccine mandate for private businesses, which Republicans are trying to get rid of, but they can't right now. Like, there's a lot of bad blood there between the mayor and, and Republicans. 
So I don't know how the political dynamics would shake out, but she would probably have a more receptive ear if Republicans took over Congress next year um, than she does right now. And, and to stay in politics, it, it may, I may be wrong. Is, is she is her is she up for re-election this year or am I wrong it, on that? No, you're totally right. And that's actually another complete like talk about the dynamics at play here. There's so many of them. And another one is that she is up for re-election. She'd be going for a third term. She is pretty popular. She has a ton of money. Um, she's a good, she's a good campaigner. Like she's a, she's a powerful incumbent. Like, so I wouldn't count her out at all, but again, she, she finally has it. There's a pretty solid challenger. Um, there's some concerns about how the, the direction the city is going in. And if suddenly the issue of paying for a new stadium comes up as a campaign issue, it could be interesting. I mean, like if you, I could see the first debate that she has with, has with her challengers, which won't be for another month or so, but I imagine the question of, are you going to put taxpayer dollars into this is going to become an issue. And, um, you know, if that gets into voters' minds, it may change their, their thinking on who they vote for. Right. And that, that's, a, that's a really interesting dynamic, because like you said, I mean, not, I mean the, the team's popularity is down. I don't know what the, the latest number suggests of like fan interest in the city, but it's obviously way down from where it was at the, at the, at the peak of, of this team. And yeah, I mean, look, I mean, me personally, like I'm, I, I don't live in the district anymore, but like I'm not, in, I'm not interested anymore in spending taxpayer dollars on stadiums. That's my own personal view, but I don't necessarily know that other people think that. And Hey, it would be, it would be cool to have this, the team back, you know, the, the Washington team back inside Washington. Um, so all that said, obviously I'm sure part of what you're, what you're paying attention to isn't just what Mayor Bazaar wants to do, but it's also what Virginia is doing, what Maryland is doing. Um, you know, again, Maryland's been relatively quiet. It feels like during this process, Virginia with the new governor, G- Governor Youngkin in he, they've been more active in recent weeks. I don't personally know that it's anything more than political theater at this point. But that said, they're at least showing, hey, we're 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 here. We're ready to go. If everybody else is going to blow you off, Dan Snyder, we're, we're willing to play ball. What, what's your guess right now um, based on all these variables as to kind of I don't know if you want to handicap the race? How would you kind of how would you kind of uh, rate it? Dude, I mean, if I were if I were Dan Snyder, and I wouldn't want to be Dan Snyder, but if I were Dan Snyder or someone very close to him, I would be saying, okay, you just rebranded the team. You finally did something that you said you'd never do, but you did. You know, stop looking to the past of what the glory days were because they're they're really far off. I mean, look, the last time that they played at RFK was the late '90s. The last time they won a Super Bowl was probably longer than that. So. And there are still fans that remember that, but there, there's fewer of them. I mean, it's just the realities of time passing. So you rebranded the team. So why not start completely fresh and just like uproot the team and make it a Virginia thing? I mean, if Virginia is willing to throw you any money and clear the land and basically give you like a destination, even though it's going to be, let's be fair. I mean, if it's out in Loudoun County, like by Dulles Airport, that's that's far for most of the current fan base. Like DC and Maryland, that's an hour. Right. But Maybe Dan Snyder looks at it and he's like, I'm going, I'm starting fresh completely. And like, I want to start, like, give this a whole new attempt somewhere else because, you know, there's a lot of benefit to being, st- to, to coming back to DC because of the history, but there's a lot of baggage too. So maybe just like shed the baggage, start fresh in Virginia. Virginia really wants is Glenn Youngkin, Republican governor has said he wants this and this would be a big win for him because any elected official being able to say we brought a major league team a major a professional sports team to our jurisdiction is always a win you know at least politically and you know it's not just him like democrats in in, in virginia like this idea too so i i would i would give virginia the win on this the the, the most kind of like the advantage they're probably top right now 
Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it feels like DC has, you said, like you said, the nostalgia advantage. Um, it, I would also call it the uh, the camera advantage when they're at the game and you can turn the camera and point it at the Capitol and the White House and, and not have to fake it like you do in the current setup kind of. Um, that's an advantage. Maryland has some advantage because it's currently the place. But I, I don't know what they're going to do. And even if they tore down FedEx Field, that that that, that location is just not great. Um, I know there's talk about Washington Harbor possibly being a place, but both of those places, they might have advantages, but only if, but only to a point. If Virginia is the one willing to play ball, they have the land, they seem to be down to do what's necessary. Um, yeah, it's interesting. By the way, the, the casino part of all this seems to be somewhat interesting that, you know, obviously we're, we're in the space now of the world where gambling is good. I know DC is, is more involved in the gambling space. Is there, I, I, maybe I'm behind on this but where where is is there anything about a casino in dc because i know they have the uh at at, at uh, capital one arena and i think nat park i just saw yeah. has gonna be is there anything though about possibly putting in an actual casino like the mgm and if so would that be part of any of this well that's another good consideration because i know like for the maryland site specifically they were saying if we build at fedex field we will make it part of like an entertainment complex and include some sort of casino or something along those lines or national harbor you could do the same thing um, and Virginia is probably game for it too. DC, the idea of a physical casino, that's another tough political sell. They've tried, they've tried it over the years. They tried riverboat gambling once. They tried slots. I mean, they tried everything. And it's, they've all gone down in flames. The one thing the city now has, which everyone has, is sports betting. Um, so I think the best DC could offer is like, you'll have like a physical sports book on site, which is, I guess is fine. But I mean, if Dan Snyder is offered the chance to go to Virginia and they're like, you will have a stadium, you'll have a casino, you'll have, you know, retail, you'll have restaurants, and we're going to kick in a bunch of money. It feels like that. Again, that seems like that's that's a pretty good offer. All right. Well, look, Martin, I really appreciate it. There's a lot of variables. There. I guess this last question, it's now February 5th that we're talking. I don't know if there's such a thing as a drop dead date by any stretch, but at some point here, they do have to make a call. Do you have any sense on your end from the DC side, what sort of a potential date we're looking at where, where everybody's going to get to get their ducks in a row like hey we have to know are we getting this land from from congress are we down to paying whatever the whatever the, the freight is any sense on, on on that front i mean i feel like if they, if they get no traction they've been trying to get the land for seven years they've gotten nowhere if they get no traction by the end of this year with democrats i just don't see it they're going to run out of time i mean because rfk in theory gets demolished next year so they clear that at least they clear the old stadium out but then there's a ton of other work you have to do on the site to begin with before you even get it transferred or whenever. Like it could still be done if it was next year, but you're then you're really running up on things because building a stadium of that size plus everything around it is going to be, I mean, what's the fastest that gets done? Two years, maybe? I don't know. Right. So I I mean, it could probably go into next year for DC. They could probably like maybe if they convince Republicans next year. But then it's just the realities of it all. Again, it's if I was an advisor to Dan Snyder and I'm like, Virginia has basically given us a blank slate and they've given us a check of money and they have all the time in the world versus DC where you're like, you have all these dominoes that are not lined up perfectly. And if one falls the wrong way, then the whole thing falls apart. I mean, again, if I were Dan Snyder, I'd be like, Virginia it is. But again, I'm not Dan Snyder and I'm somewhat thankful for that. <laughs> I hear you on that. All right. Well, Martin, I really appreciate the insight. Uh, it's going to be, you know, we're, we're done with the name. It's on to the stadium. This is going to be a really fascinating one. 
because there's a lot of variables as we just discussed. Uh, Martin Ostermule with WAMU and DCS. Thank you so much for the time. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Many thanks to Pat Narduzzi and Martin Ostermule for their time. Just some quick Wizards thoughts here before I let everybody go. Um, I never know if everybody likes these long podcasts or not, but, you know, I it's either put up three or two a week, and I don't know. It's all the same, right? <laughs> you know, whether it's an hour and a half in one or split it up into three, it all seems to work. You get to it when you get to it. I just want to get it out. Um, as far as the Wizards go... So I was at the Cap 1 last night. It was the first game I've been to this year, to be honest. Uh, uh, saw them get blown out by Miami. They were competitive for a bit, and then towards the end of the third quarter, got run out of the gym and were down. went from being down 7, 8, or 9 to being down 30 uh, pretty quick. And this is you know, two games in a row they've been down by at least 30. Things are definitely uh, in, a, in a rough spot for Washington. And you know, I saw some chatter on Twitter about the idea of, you know, how bad is it right now for Washington? And somebody I know was saying that they did uh, I was engaged with somebody in conversation. They were saying they thought this was not much different than where it's been the last couple of years with this team um, in terms of how bad it feels. And I said I disagree, and I really disagree. Very, very much so. I mean, I think people know who've listened to me talk about the Wizards that I'm a bit of a realist with this team and always have been. I don't try to, you know, imagine that John Wall and Bradley Beal were going to lead Washington to a title. I get that it'd be fun to think it, but, you know, I try to keep it real on those fronts. Um, And it goes the other way, too. I don't always say things are the worst of all time just because they're losing games. Sometimes you have to be realistic with what's going on. In the last few years, at least prior to the Russell Westbrook part of it, Washington just did not have enough talent to go along with Bradley Beal, with John Walhurt. That was just the reality of the situation. And what made the start of this year so interesting not just that they went 10 and 3, but you could see they had a lot of good players beyond Beal, Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, uh, you know, Daniel Gafford, Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope. They had guys who could play, who guys who could play for in in a rotation for for real teams, you know, for teams that were contending. And that's why th- this was so interesting at the start of this year. And it's also why what's going on now to me is much worse. Because at least the last few years, you could say, look, it felt like they were trying, that they were playing hard, that there was, everybody was sort of pulling in the same direction. They just didn't have enough. And okay, that's going to happen sometimes. You know? This feels very different. The tension in the air, watching it through the television and being around the arena last night, I think is, is, is palpable. I think you can feel it. You can see it in the comments that have been made by players whether it's Dinwiddie or Beal or Caldwell Pope, or not Caldwell Pope, sorry, Kuzma or, or Montrez Harrell. Um, you know, Bradley Beal recently mentioned the idea of, you know, there's a lot of guys on this team who are unsure about their future and maybe playing, maybe leaning into that in in their, in their play. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's talked about, you know, basically the idea of, you know, kind of he needs to be more involved offensively. Montrez Harrell and Kuzma, have been pretty blunt with how they're seeing the situation. And normally a lot of the comments that are made like that are things you hear behind the scenes, perhaps if things are going wrong, not always publicly. These guys are airing out a lot of stuff publicly. I I think there's a real issue here. I don't know how, I'm not sure what they're going to do with the trade deadline. 
I think they've got to do something, but not do something in the sense of like, hey, how do they upgrade it, you know, on the wing to, uh, you know, make a move for the seven or eight seed. I'm, I'm talking about something potentially seismic. I, I, I don't know if that automatically means trading Bradley Beal. Um, it's something that I've advocated for from the moment they get rid of Russell Westbrook. To me, it felt like, hey, now is the time to explore a Bradley Beal trade. I didn't think that necessarily before. I wanted Bradley Beal as sort of the adult in the room. If you're going to have a bunch of kids, more so than, say, Russell Westbrook or John Wall, just different type of mentalities. And I think Bradley Beal made some more sense in that regard. But it obviously has not been working out this year. It's been a down year. By the way, I will note on the Bradley Beal front, whether this is coincidence or not, his agent, Mark Bartlestein, one of the bigger agents in the league, he was at the game yesterday. Now, obviously, agents are going to go visit their players, but he showed up for Bradley Beal three days before the trade deadline. I don't have a sense that that means anything particular. Um, you know, I don't, uh, you know, it's been reported and I, I've heard the same as well that, you know, Bradley Beal's not making a trade demand, that there's no sense right now that anything is changing, but it's still notable that he was there. But whether Bradley Beal gets traded to the Sixers or to some other de- team, something needs to give, something is off here with this group. And I really do think this is a far more significant issue right now than it's been in recent years you can't I I understand that they're losing and maybe you want to point to a comparable record in in recent years I'm just telling you this is to me this is a very it feels very very different and um you know I'm not going to put any of this on Wes Unsell Jr. who just showed up you know 10 minutes ago um but something is off and by the way I will just sort of add to that point I was watching, you know, watching the Miami Heat play yesterday. You know, there's always this notion of Heat culture, and what does that mean? And you see it happen over and over again, where they bring in random pieces to join their team, and immediately the pieces fall into place and and assimilate to what is being done there. Pat Riley, obviously one of the greatest um, coaches and executives of all time, it all starts with him, and I guess you could say to some degree the owner, Mickey Harrison. I just don't know him as well, or I, you know, I just don't know him, um, but. The idea that uh, when you come there, here's expectations. Here's what is. Here's what their, our mentality is. You're going to play within this rules. Even going back to LeBron James, part of the reason why LeBron James left Miami was a, a lot of factors. But Pat Riley did not bow bow down to LeBron. He did not also allow him to have all his friends come on team planes and do some of the other things that it seems like LeBron has been able to do in other spots. Um, debate on that what you will the point is Miami the organization sets the tone the players do not and I think here in Washington part of the problem has been it's been the opposite the ownership and management has bent down to the John Walls and the Bradley Beals of the world and from that you know the tone is from a player player I don't know, player in player out I don't know it's more set from the player and so when these new guys come in you know, the tone is not, it's not, it's not something you're walking into and saying, okay, here's what it means to be a member of the Wizards. Here's how, here's how you need to sort of play as a teammate. Here's what you need to consider as you're, as you're going through your day-to-day work. Here's what you need to consider as you're talking to the media. It's much more of a clearly of a freelance situation here. And um, I don't think that's helping the cause either. So I think my bottom line is, to say that this is, feels like normal 
to me does not is not the case at all. I think this is I think there's real tension in the air, real concern. Forget the playoffs right now. Something is off and they need to figure out what that means. If that means trading Bradley Beal and starting over, I don't think that's the wrong move. I would have preferred them to trade Beal before in during the offseason when um you had more teams that could possibly make a move for him. Now you're limited to, you know, whichever teams either can make a move that because they have assets or uh or cap space or roster room or or just willing. Some might just say, eh, we don't need to we, we you know we're gonna roll the dice and we'll see where Beal's at at the end of the year. Reminder, Bradley Beal is doesn't look like he's gonna sign his extension now. He's gonna be, therefore become a free agent at the end of the year. If he signs with Washington, he can get the five year max. If he doesn't, he can get the four year, you know, big bag. It'll cost him a good chunk of money. What was it like forty, fifty million dollars? But you know, he could take, he could do that, and still, you know, net what one hundred and seventy million dollars, give or take, to go play for somebody else versus the two hundred plus million to stay in Washington. But you know, at some point, you might, you know, if you're Bradley Beal, you got to ask the question, like, what am I doing here? You know, what's the purpose of all this? And if you're Washington, which is maybe the per- more pertinent point, what are they doing here? Are you going to make Bradley Beal one of the highest paid players in the league? when it doesn't look like he's a guy that's going to be the best player on a title team, that doesn't seem like a great move. And look where they're at now with this team. He is currently banged up and did not play last night. But something's got to give. So, you know, a couple weeks ago, I think we were talking about, could you go get a Demanda Sabonis or a Jeremy Grant? And could that kickstart you? Maybe. You still have a lot of players. You need to consolidate some of these guys and turn two and three players into a a better player. That That is a way to go. But at the same time, things have been so bad lately. I think you also need to really consider uh, punting and starting over here somewhat fresh. Um, Ted Leonsis, that's just not been his bag. You've heard me talk about this a hundred times. His goal is to make the playoffs and get that playoff revenue and keep the people keep keep having season ticket holders or, or ticket holders in general believe that they're trying to win when I've always said the reality is they're just trying to make the playoffs and there is a difference on that front so we'll see what they do I definitely though am concerned with where Washington is at in, in significant ways right now and we'll just have to see if they can turn things around but is it, it feels very off right now to say the least in any event I'm gonna sign off on this episode of the podcast thanks so much as always for checking out the pod Back more with another episode this week. Uh, Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, see ya.